It is so funny. You can sit in a room of three people and feel and feel like you're all disagreeing, but you're disagreeing because of vernacular that you're using. Someone could be thinking about ARR and saying ARR. Someone could be thinking about ACB. Some could be thinking about first year contract, not realizing that all three are very, very similar. Right. And so you feel like you're in a room of disagreements, but you're really agreeing. It's just a vernacular issue. Happens so often. Welcome to RevOps Rockstars in Pursuit of Unicorns. I'm David Carnes. And I'm Jaren Chu. Join us as we interview RevOps leaders to explore the challenges they have faced, the biggest lessons they've learned, and what they think makes a RevOps Rockstar. This show is brought to you by OpFocus on a mission to help companies run their businesses better by letting you focus on growth while we scale your operations. Let's get this show on the road. Today's guest is a seasoned RevOps professional with over 20 years experience. In fact, I don't think I've ever met anyone who has had every permutation of every sales ops, biz ops, and rev ops title in their job history. Welcome to the podcast, uh, the VP of Revenue Planning and Operations at, at uh, Flowcast, Lisa Daly. Thank you so much for joining us, Lisa. Thank you so much for having me, David. I'm really excited to be here. Lisa, what is something in RevOps that you had to learn the hard way? Um, that's a great question. I think failure is okay, right? Some of the things that you do in RevOps is so challenging, especially when you think about merger and activity, merger and acquisitions activities, integrating two companies together, rolling out a whole new strategy across multiple sales to touch sales tools, touching multiple teams. Um, not everything runs smoothly. Something ultimately is going to go wrong. And in that moment of failure, you learn lessons that you can take to the next project and to the next project and to the next project. So I've had multiple failures in my career across multiple projects, across multiple companies, and I learn something every time um, that occurs to me. I feel like there's probably some stories behind there that are really juicy that you might want to share. Well, I think, you know, here's a really good example. I got the pleasure of running um, the integration project uh, for Looker and Google after Looker was acquired by Google. One that, of our that first doesn't sound uh, stressful at all. Yeah, no, not at all. With a hundred with a project team of over a hundred people. Wasn't too stressful. <laughs> but um one of the things that the, one of the first things we did was we actually had to integrate our back-end system. So all of our billing systems moving from old looker systems into Google's consumption-based system, which subscription and consumption model don't really play nicely in the sandbox together. So um, some of the things that we learned along the way is we were forcing sort of our round, our, our square peg into a round hole. And there was a lot of system enhancements and process misses that we didn't take into account right away. So at the end of the day, what happened is we actually didn't have the best customer end user experience when they got their new invoices um, based on the new system. So, and that is because we just didn't really, we were so quick to try and integrate our, you know, multi hundred million dollar business into the next system. We just missed some of those key system requirements along the way, keeping the end user in mind. So that was a huge, I think personally, a huge miss. Did it impact every single customer? Absolutely not. Impacting one customer is terrible. So you have to just kind of remind yourself that you need to slow down sometimes to speed up as you go through some of your projects and revenue operations. 
I love that you mention slowing down to speed up because in so many startup environments, you know, the legacy of a startup is often move fast and break things. Yeah. This is a very different approach when you have a customer experience to keep in mind. Mm-hmm. It is about ensuring minimal, uh, minimally affecting or disrupting their experience. Exactly. I mean, ultimately, everyone's here for the ARR. Everyone's here to make sure that their dollar met, dollar-based net retention is high, that their churn rate is low. So you absolutely need to keep that customer experience in mind, 100%. And that goes for both external customers and internal customers. You don't want your internal customers hit with all of these customer complaints that's going to impact their upsell or their renewal capability, right? So you have to really keep your entire ecosystem in mind when you're doing something like that. RevOps really is in an interesting position and role because of having both that external and internal customer. In a traditional ops function, the customer is definitely thought of more as the internal stakeholder. But when it comes to revenue operations, I mean, it's in the name, right? What we are focused on, what we care about is everything that's revenue generating, which is very customer centric. And being able to keep both sets of stakeholders in mind, Mm -hmm. I, I think that probably speaks to a lot of the success you've seen as a RevOps leader. Yeah, I mean, it's absolutely fundamental. It, it, it's keeping the customer in mind starts way, right when they touch your website, right when you're handing that lead off to an SD, SDR, right? How do you increase your lead to your your speed to lead process? How do you make sure that that customer is getting that reach out in 24 hours? That experience starts at touch one. And that experience needs to be optimized all the way until you get a quote to cash. And then make sure their invoice is right. So they pay on time and they don't have any issues. Fantastic. I want to talk about your role specifically, uh, both at Flowcast, but also the many roles David mentioned uh, in the introduction, the many experiences you've had. Your current title is VP of Revenue Planning and Operations. Mm -hmm. What does that entail at Flowcast and how do you measure success in this role? So at Flowcast, Revenue Operations manages multiple disciplines across sort of the operations spectrum. We manage dill desk and order management. We manage your traditional sales operation role, which is basically taking it from lead to opportunity and all the processes that fall inside that realm. We manage commissions. I have a database manager, which is incredibly important for data integrity, accuracy across your reporting, making sure your integrations are all working as they should. And then I have a GTM reporting and analytics lead, which really is just making sure Sure. Are we doing the right things as a company? Do we have the strategic point of view of where we should go next, et cetera? So those are the disciplines that I have at um, at Blowcast. And when it comes to managing this many functions, how do you measure success yourself, but also for some of these um, functions you're overseeing? Um, that's a tough one. I think measuring success for myself is just making sure that all my cross-functional stakeholders are aligned to all the different things we are measuring or managing. Are we actually putting in place all of the different tactics and strategic uh, plans to actually hit our GTM strategy? Are we being able to measure that across all of our disciplines so that we can show that we're hitting our goals? Are we making sure that our reps have the right productivity? Can we show their attainment? Are we managing our our opportunities in the right way? Are we maximizing our ARR in the back end? of the deal process? And then are we able to actually measure the the business? 
um, with my GTM? And then are we paying the reps right? So across all your different disciplines, you're just making sure that all of those stakeholders are taken care of and that we're able to hit some of those company KPIs as a GTM team. Great. When when you think about the, the, the way your role might have evolved, um, either at Flowcast or in the many teams that you've led, where there's probably different functional areas involved, what is something in your role that you wish you would have done sooner? I think I wish I would have known sooner how cross-functional the operations role is. I think that when you start off, I was not to date myself too much. I know David said I had over 20 something years experience, but so you can do the math on your own. But when I first started off, I was a sales admin, um, entering data into a green screen CRM. And so when you first start your career that way, what you're really focused on is just your sales team. How is your sales team doing? What is the data the sales team needs? What are the type of um, support the sales team needs? When you start to grow in your career, and I wish I would have known this sooner, is everything that the sales teams need, product depends upon. Every single thing the sales team does, finance needs to make sure it's right so we can recognize revenue in the right way. Everything the sales team inputs impacts all of your company reporting that goes all the way up to your CEO. I wish I had known that more when I was starting in my career because there, I probably would have been more care about asking the right questions across functionally than just focus on my one internal stakeholder of sales. That is really resonating with me, Lisa. When I think about how sales and often marketing are the engine of any business, it's so easy for the team to hear, you know, the latest and greatest in the marketplace. These are the things customers are asking for. This is what's, you know, competitive doing. And yet every single decision we make and and talk about in a sales cycle or in a marketing deck or whatever conferences we go to as thought leadership, it requires a lot of other teams to support. Exactly. DevOps is in that crossroads of sometimes being a tiebreaker or often more often than not, it's being an enabler to say, let's translate these things that you're hearing about in Mm -hmm. a way that the rest of the business can support. I often think of sales operations or revenue operations as sort of the quarterback of of the entire revenue stream, right? You're you're quarterbacking and making sure that product has the right information as it relates to what deals have what products associated, what's your revenue associated to all products, what are the issues we could be seeing. You are the quarterback to marketing. Are you getting your leads in? Are we tracking those leads from an attribution accurately? You're the quarterback to finance. How are my deals doing? Can I recognize ARR in this way? This is what I want to put in my pricing strategy. You're then also the quarterback to your executives. Is all the underlying data accurate so that you can measure and manage the company in the right way? Like you are so cross-functional. I, I think people often lose sight of the importance of that revenue role inside operations. You shared the various RevOps functions that you have within that you own within Flowcast. I'm curious, how do you structure your team to support that? And is that a, like an ongoing process that you need to keep growing and evolving the team as the business continues to grow and evolve? 
It's an ongoing exercise because you get to different maturity levels of a team or of a company, right? So, you know, right now in my world, I have a wonderful sales operations manager, Alana. It's the first time she's ever done sales operations inside a tech company. So at Flowcast specifically, it's constantly just evolving her in that role, making sure that she has a right point of view as it relates to the sales ops functions and then prioritizing sort of what are the roles that I need to add next as it relates to where we're going to grow the company? Where are we going to focus? Where is the productivity gains that we need to get from a company? So I kind of look at all of that together. I really focus on productivity. I lead most of my team decisions on if I can automate it, I'm going to automate it first before I try and bring a team on board. Oh, that's so interesting. And then this must be a really interesting time of year for you doing planning for the new year and how that impacts uh, your team structure as well. Yeah, it absolutely does. I mean, we, we've been asking for, oftentimes we'll get asked for what's our headcount for next year. And I literally just had a conversation with my um, CFO yesterday about, I need to put together a capacity plan for my Dildas team because I want to bring on hires when it makes sense based on the volume of deals that we're seeing. And if I can automate more, of that structure and make my reps more self-service. One is going to put the power of the deal back in their hands and it's going to lessen my cost operationally because that's one less head I actually have to bring on on the team. How do you determine the right mix of in-house versus outsourced work? I actually think about if it's in-house, it has to be repeatable. There's a repeatable problem that I'm constantly fixing. Um, Order management is a great example. Order management is actually just making sure that at the end of the deal, once the contract is signed, they're making sure that all of the uh, products are correct. All the entitlements, all of these key salesforce.com attributes are accurate so that we can actually feed that information in NetSuite and bill it correctly. That's a very manual process and a data entry process. That is somebody that I always bring in-house because that is a repeatable process that I have every day, every end of month, every end of quarter. If it's a more temporary process where I'm doing a massive data cleanup in in my system, or I'm doing a, a contract check across all my contracts to make sure that I have one component accurate for legal, that I'm going to actually outsource. I'm going to probably bring a contractor on board for three to four months, knock some of these manual data projects um, off. And then let them roll off. So it sounds like one time, very focused, something having an an outsourced person can just tackle it, get it done, cross it off and allow your team to keep focusing on what it's, what it needs to focus on. Exactly. Yeah. Huh. Now we, you mentioned um, owning cross-functional corporate level initiatives. I'm curious what an example of that might be in, in your world. Um, so I've done it a couple of different times. I, again, I, I was, I was lucky enough to run mergers and acquisitions for CA's IT team for a while. And that was very much at a corporate level where I was managing all the system integrations, working with all the cross-functional teams to define how the processes integrate, um, what's the rollout of all of these systems, how that's going to impact all of the teams and people. Um, so that was very corporate level. And then I had to report back to a steering committee and those are always very joyful, um, and then some of the things that Bloke has is really just defining, you know, how do we want to measure the company? What's the definition of churn, for example? How do you want to incorporate that definition? What are the right systems and attributes that we detract so that we are accounting for churn in the right way? And that is very much at a C-level uh, point of view. 
I think that's probably been the number one greatest surprise in consulting all these years is walking into a, a new client and realizing that the definitions are all over the place. Yeah. Uh, and and you you realize that, that this the inefficiencies that are caused by not having a um, a glossary of terms for the organization, yeah. so that each new sales leader or each new team member that comes on board is handed that and can speak the same language. It is so funny. You can sit in a room of three people and feel and feel like you're all disagreeing, but you're disagreeing because of vernacular that you're using. Someone could be thinking about ARR and saying ARR. Someone could be thinking about ACV. Some could be thinking about first year contract, not realizing that all three are very, very similar. Right. And so you feel like you're in a room of disagreements, but you're really agreeing. It's just a vernacular issue. It happens so often. Yeah, such a good point. It's a great transition to one of the topics on my mind, Lisa, when it comes to reporting these high level metrics that the board cares about, right? RevOps is such a key component, such a key piece to helping our senior leaders be prepared for board meetings. We're coming up on the end of the quarter right now, end of the year. When it, when it comes to prep, right? And, and knowing that oftentimes different leaders or even board members could have different definitions of specific KPIs or specific areas that they're particularly interested in drilling in on. How do you, first of all, prepare leading up to the presentation? And then relatedly, when it comes to the narrative or, or identifying the, the right KPIs to, to uh, mention, what's your typical strategy or, or approach? So leading up, I really believe you have to make sure that you define what you're talking about. Define the metric. Define what that metric is that you're measuring. Define how you're measuring that metric and define what data points you're going to use to measure that that correctly. And put together a policy doc of how that's going to be done. And then run that by your executive stakeholders. When I just, at Flowcast, I just literally finished my ARR policy doc of how we're actually going to account for ARR across all of our different transaction types how those ARR fills may look different. How does ARR get calculated from a comp perspective versus a company ARR perspective, knowing that they could be different, right? (laughs) Defining that in a document, get your CFO, get your CRO, get your SVP of sales engaged, sign off. And then they know as that data gets reported up into your BI tool, and we do use Looker as our BI tool at Flowcast, they understand the data they're seeing. They understand how we got to a $300,000 churn or how expansion number in one system may be different than in salesforce.com because of the difference of company ARR versus commission. So really take the time to document those differences because they are different. Understand that, get your executives on board. That will help them with a narrative when they get in front of the board. My inner RevOps geek is uh, stirring and I must drill in further. You've mentioned this policy doc. Can you explain really quickly, like, what do you usually include in it? Give me a sense of like what that table of contents looks like. How yeah. do you keep it up to date? And and what how frequently do you kind of revisit to make updates based on the business changing? Yeah, no. So what the what that policy doc in particular really contained is what are the corporate KPIs that we're tracking as a company? right? What are the definition of those? How often do we keep it um, updated? And then what are the key fields that those corporate KPIs depend upon to keep it updated? And then how are those core fields updated? 
which teams are responsible for them. And then I have a data governance slide about how, who manages the data, how do we find errors, how do we rectify errors, and then their key point of contacts. And then I provide examples across how that data would flow across all of our different transaction types, from new business to upsell to renewal. Do you have a specific person on the team who owns the updating of that, or maybe some cadence that you have scheduled to say, hey, on this regular basis, we yep. just want to check against uh, the doc? We, because every time you close a transaction in salesforce.com, you have an ARR component, whether that's upsell or downsell, that's all built into my OM process. So I actually have a very detailed OM process where my team will go in and verify that all of these key financial metrics in our opportunity process is updated correctly to maintain the accuracy of our policy and then the accuracy of our reporting. Wow. That is very, very cool. And I feel like for many RevOps leaders out there, that's kind of like the dream state, right? To have yeah. this amount of clarity and documentation that you can refer back to and never need to be confused in an internal meeting, or uh, more often it's it's educating uh, the board members on what that metric means at your company. Yeah. And what's nice about Blowcast is I actually don't have to interact with the board members, which is kind of a nice stress relief, but I make sure that my executives understand, very important that my executives understand how all of these metrics are reporting, because then they can relate to the board on why it's this way, how does our churn number change, what's the delta, et cetera. Great. I'd love to learn, you know, things like a policy doc, I'm learning about uh, in in this example through you, Lisa, I'm I'm talking to you and and you're sharing kind of the best practices uh, you've implemented. What are some of the resources you tap into in the industry? Be that um, through communities or through books and podcasts, et cetera. How do you get your kind of stream of RevOps information, and how do you learn and stay ahead of the curve? Yeah, I don't know if I'm staying ahead of the curve, but I do learn a lot. I definitely believe in sort of that growth mindset and and, and learning from others and, and hearing different feedback. So I use modern day sales pros a lot. I don't actually post a lot on that feed, but I read a lot of the emails because your problems across all these different companies and RevOps are very similar, right? Speed to lead is such a similar problem across all different companies. Managing and automating your deal desk, such a common process, right? A problem. Optimizing your territories, common problem, regardless of the type of industry or the SaaS company you're in. So I do read a lot about that because I just am learning from all the other feedback uh, from that community. And I, I really am lucky enough that I have a very close network. I keep in touch with a lot of my previous sales, um, salesforce.com admins. I keep in touch with a lot of my previous marketing leaders. Um, I have great uh, IT resources and architecture teams that I've worked with in the past that I just keep in touch with. And oftentimes I'll just ping them like, I'm thinking this, am I crazy? What have you guys seen? And they'll provide some really active you know, feedback. So keeping your network alive is super important. I think your experience in particular, Lisa, of having led teams at so many places and the 20 years of experience as a veteran, that is a huge resource. And I think for most of us uh, who are trying to make our make our uh, mark in the RevOps space, I think that's something we're really looking to build up. Um, so I wanted to drill in just one more point there. In addition to keeping in touch with folks that you've worked with and you've managed, have you found effective ways to network or meet other RevOps leaders um, 
so that you can actually tap into more folks in the industry? Um, I've got a couple of events that I mean, Dreamforce, believe it or not, is a massive event of networking for revenue operations teams. Um, so I've done, I've gone to Dreamforce many, many times, but I really technically just, typically just stick to my network. I have a, a just a, I've been very lucky in that I've worked across many different companies, speaking of my years of experience. And a lot of my core network is stuck within operations and there's, and they're learning things from different companies that they've been to. So I, I really just sort of have a very strong um, network and, and a lot of different people that I respect. And I have some amazing mentors that I can lean into when I really am having a, you know, a problem either with personnel or a new strategy. And they've always been very receptive and very helpful. Oh, that's like gold. Yeah. Mentors like that. So happy for you. I'm just so glad to hear that. So you shared with us that you were working on green screens, entering data. And I know because we ran along the same time frame uh, <laughs> that you saw the, uh, the dawn and the evolution of all this really cool go-to-market tech stack stuff. Yeah. Is there any tool that you can't live without? Um, the, the easy answer is obviously salesforce.com, right? Your whole GTM world from beginning to end revolves around that system. My second tool is, um, my data enrichment tools. So much of your processing is just so dependent upon making sure that you have the right account level data. So you're giving the leads to the right people in the right time that you actually can have the right territories assigned so that you you actually have the right account level information for billing downstream, right? That is so fundamentally important. Um, so for me, my next layer would just be all of the data enrichment tools that I've been lucky enough to have. I used HG Insights, I've used DMB, I've used Clearbit, I've used Zoom Info, um, all of them really, really great tools. And I, I can't see running another organization without having a really clean and clear data enrichment process that, again, is automated very much. Into yeah, automated. And we, we see so much of that just-in-time enrichment yeah. you know, ability now using tools like Workado uh, yeah. to just ensure that that enrichment hits at the exact right time so that we can route the lead or we can you know process it appropriately, score it appropriately, et cetera. Yeah. It's the worst position to be in when the lead gets routed to the wrong person. Secondly, an, an AE who thinks they have an opportunity takes it all the way through to almost contract and then comes to find out, oh, crap, my address is wrong. This doesn't belong in my territory at all. So it's just it's, it's the worst experience. Right. And you can avoid that by having just those right data enrichment tools. Oh, yeah. They hate that when they've just spent an hour researching something. and then yeah. they <laughs> <it>. Sorry. <laughs> exactly. But you mentioned Looker earlier. Is that the tool that you go to for an at-a-glance view of the business? Are there other tools that you use for that? Um, I use Salesforce.com for my at-a-glance. Um, but as we all know, Salesforce.com doesn't always have the right business intelligence, or the right advanced complex analytics behind it. So we use Looker for a much more complex and analytics across the business. And, and when you think about all of your company-led KPIs, there's a lot of complexity around that. There's a lot of data that you need to bring together across multiple systems and multiple objects. In my opinion, Looker has done that really well. And that's what we use here at Flowcast. Oh, that's so cool. I spent a lot of time on reports and dashboards. I just finished, I submitted another chapter today in the book uh, on it, which is very exciting. It, it is so important to know. You're writing the, a book, David? Yes, yes. Um, Salesforce Analytics. 
That is uh, awesome. It's been a great experience. So I just got another chapter submitted today and we're getting really close. Uh, but but knowing what the outer bounds are for reports and dashboards, exactly what you can get out of them, and what you can't get out of them, yes. and where a tool like Looker steps in and provides such great value. I'm glad you discovered that. A lot of companies don't. They kind of struggle with that gap. And then the, the head of sales ops spends their entire Sundays cobbling stuff together. And yeah. like, it's a terrible experience. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So we've seen that a lot over the years. Yeah. Um, just understanding the rules. I like guess sometimes it comes back to a rules of engagement of, or just understanding what systems to use when, right? And what are the use cases that are more optimal for what systems? It's so important because you you've oftentimes oftentimes will find that as you grow, right, as a young company, everyone's chasing that next shiny object in tech. Oh, I want to add this. Oh, I have to go have this because it's going to give me this one lead data point. But you have three other systems that also provide other lead data points, right? So just actually being able to manage the shiny object syndrome and find the right tools to use in the right situations is so important. And reporting is one of those things. I'm a huge advocate of a BI tool. I think every company needs one. That's not to say that Salesforce.com doesn't have great reporting. It's just two different tools used in two different ways. Lisa, I had another tech stack tool that came up while you were chatting about the overlapping functions. We're coming up at the end of the year here. A lot of our SaaS contracts, uh, you know, different kinds of tools that the team uses is coming up for renewal. I'm interested in what process you take to analyze and understand which tools to consolidate, which tools to um, maybe increase license counts in, which tools to uh, you know, kindly tell the vendor, hey, we don't need you anymore. How do you approach it and how far in advance do you typically start when it comes to reviewing those contracts? We try to review it at least a few months. I mean, I'm not gonna say we, we do it way in advance. I typically will do it two to three months in advance, sometimes even just a month in advance, depending on how busy we are. Um, but I really look at my usage. I really look back and see, okay, have I had any kind of negative feedback across the tech? Um, have I had significant issues across the tech? Is this technology something that's brought up in multiple conversations, knowing that it's something that is deeply embedded in a lot of, in several processes that we have? Um, that kind of is my leading indicator for me to ask the question, do I really need this or not? So I do do a lot of research and I reach out to some of my stakeholders to figure out how we're using it. And I want to kind of um, take another layer of what you just said, because so many of our tools today have a very PLG uh, approach, a a PLG sales approach. So Mm -hmm. uh, oftentimes we might find uh, all of a sudden that, hey, without RevOps knowing, sales brought on this other tool, right? Or let's let's take our favorite uh, example internally is some a tool like Slack, which is so convenient for in, intra-team communication, will end up taking root and spreading itself out across yeah. the business. And those are not centrally made decisions. Those are often department or unit um, team made decisions. So when we talk about uh, when you met, when you were mentioning, let's say, hey, that lead data, you might get it from three different places where there is overlapping functionality. How do you evaluate which tool to keep? Do you go for the platform play where you have one vendor to speak to and all of the other, you know, all the functionality, if you can get it centralized with one vendor is better for negotiation? 
or something else. Yeah. I haven't had that experience at Flowcast, but in my previous companies, I've had a little bit of that experience and I go for the platform play. I would rather have a vendor that can do multiple things that solves 80 to 90% of my problem than two or three vendors that solve 33% each. And that's because operationally, it's more efficient for me to run it off of a platform. I don't have to have as many resources to support it. From a productivity standpoint, I don't need to worry about my team swivel chairing to multiple seams or having multiple integrations feeding into a system that needs to be constantly maintained, right? If I have that platform play, it's one system, one integration, much lighter of an operational lift, both from a systems perspective and from a day-to-day business management perspective. And, um, you know, one thing we found, especially in the RevOps tech stack over the last few years, is there are a lot of best-in-class tools that are starting to do their platform play, right? So they're very, very strong in one aspect. And traditionally, you might piece together three or four different of yeah. those independent tools to have you know, what the sales team uses or what the marketing team uses. As they expand, oftentimes the other functionality is not best in class. How do you balance the vendor, you know, simplifying vendor and simplifying operations between and and also simplifying, like, what are the tools that are just easiest or best or most popular to use? Yeah, I think a little bit comes to understanding your priority of those adjacent tools or those processes that the platform play isn't successful at. If you're able to actually get in to some of those early adopters or early stages where you can actually be a tester across some of those newer um, processes that they're introducing in their platform, I actually think that's very exciting because now I could put my point of view in. Now I can help them understand where my pain point is and optimize that bill to fit my pain point, right? So that is something that I'm very interested in. I think that also gives us a little bit of an entrepreneur spirit, right? In operations where you're sort of at the forefront of that build with that platform. And you're putting sort of your stamp and understanding, okay, this is how it's going to work. And I can make sure it's going to work for my company as well. So I like to negotiate that into, if I, I know it's an early play, I also know that it's not having it fully built out isn't going to break my company. Then I'm going to negotiate that in and see how I can become an early adopter. I can see how attractive it is to have um, that collaboration with the vendor and to affect their roadmap in a very tangible way. Yep. So Lisa, one more RevOps question. What is exciting to you about the future of RevOps? Yeah, um, for me, because Rev Operations is so so cross-functional, you really get to see so many different aspects of the business. I think just the future of ops revenue operations is is really people becoming the next COO of companies. I mean, you you have such amazing career trajectory being in revenue operations um, that I really didn't know about 20 years ago. When I started in sales operations, like I said, I was data entry into a green, green screen. That was a role that was nice to have. Having an, a sales operations was nice. You can, you can have someone who does some of the administrative tasks for your sales, for your sales team. Having, having a revenue operations and how that has sort of evolved in the last 20 years, you see that it's not a nice to have, it's a requirement to have. And it's a requirement to have at the early stages of a company because you need someone who's thinking about your scale. You need someone who's thinking about productivity. You're needing somebody that's going to help you make sure that your revenue processes are clean across all these different teams that they support. So seeing that evolution and constantly just seeing where it's growing 
you know, it would not surprise me if you have the next greatest CEO or COO coming from a revenue operations role. I completely agree with you. How exciting. Yeah, very. it's a very exciting career. I, I encourage anybody who's listening to go after revenue operations. It's very exciting. In the first half of the call, Lisa, you've been very generously sharing with us your experiences leading RevOps functions, working in RevOps roles. I'd love to learn more about you. Um, your background is quite uh, is is quite fun. You've studied. I think you're one of the few people that we've spoken to thus far in the podcast who actually studied something related to business. Uh, I think you got your BS in business management at the University of Phoenix. Uh, you're currently based out of California. Uh, I think out in Union City. And prior to this, you had mentioned at the top of the call, you were head of sales ops for Looker, which was then acquired by Google. Mm -hmm. How did you get into SaaS RevOps and how did you get to Flowcast? Yeah, so interesting that I had spent nine years of my career at CA Technologies and I joined CA by an acquisition of Niku. Niku was a PM solution called Clarity. That then became a new business unit within uh, CA called the Clarity Business Unit. At that time, everything was on-premise. Clarity was one of the first sort of SaaS solutions or try to enter into the SaaS solution realms at CA. We were the first SaaS solution, I think, at CA Technologies. That's how I entered into SaaS, by developing what SaaS is at CA Technologies, what that meant, um, and how we operationalize that within that very large company. That was my intro. It was very, it was, it was kind of revolutionary for me because I've never actually been a part of a SaaS uh, strategy uh, from going from on-premise to SaaS, reorganizing your backend systems of how you would do SaaS revenue versus just on-premise revenue, what that meant from a setup and a delivery to a customer, like your proof of delivery for revenue recognition. All of that was brand new to me. And that started at CA Technologies. Sounds like a really healthy CPQ challenge. It was <laughs> It was it was a very healthy CPQ challenge. That's very true. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's great. Hey, if you could go back, so you're coming up on one year in your role. If you could go back to day one and give yourself some advice, what would that be? Day one of Flowcast? Yeah. Um gosh, I would say enjoy the ride. Flowcast is such an amazing, amazing company. Um, but like many companies, we're growing. Well, actually, unlike many companies, we're actually growing significantly, right? We are we are growing quarter over quarter right now um, with our revenue sales and our and the volume of customers we're bringing on board. Um, and with that comes constant change, right? So enjoying the ride, making sure I'm available for all of my team members internally and externally. Um, and just enjoying sort of this experience with Flowcast. Don't get so built up that everything has to be perfect on day one. That's that's an unrealistic goal. Just enjoy the process. Sounds like great advice for life in general. Yeah. Enjoy the ride. <laughs> enjoy the ride. Lisa, since you mentioned Flowcast, I thought maybe uh, to ask you to share quickly what does Flowcast do and uh, why why you love working there and what you're trying to build there. Yeah, so Flowcast builds um, accounting software by accountants. I I am being 100% honest. The majority of the company are ex-CPAs. That's what they are. So they understand the function of accounting inside and out, and they build based on all of that rich knowledge they have. 
we build close management software that just makes you helps you close faster, more efficiently, allows you to collaborate across multiple teams, allows you to have all of the right components in place for that entire process. And it's built by experts that lived it day in and day out. So, and what's exciting about Focus is they believe in that 100%. The, our whole hiring strategy is let's find those ex-accountants. Let's get them on board to help us grow our company and make sure that we're doing things in the right way. And our and the leadership I have here at Flowcast is second to none. They are amazing. Wow. I think it's really interesting hearing you talk about selling, especially to finance folks as your primary persona and stakeholder, and mm-hmm. also to have a company of folks who are of a finance background. I, I can yeah. imagine how different that might be from some of the other SaaS companies that we typically work with. Yeah, exactly. And and to think about, it, I'm like the mino- minority here. I do not come from accounting background. So just listening to all these experts around me, I learn something new, like I said, every single day. You mentioned earlier when uh, talking about your role that RevOps might be you know, preparing for some of our next CEOs, COOs of the world. In an ideal world, what's next on your career bucket list? My career bucket list would be, I want to become the next COO, right? So um, I think, you know, I never want to settle. Um, I don't believe in that. I think that there's always something I can grow into, something that I can learn, something I can help other companies with. So for me, really, it's just that constant learning, constant trying to up my own game so that I can become the next CEO of a, of a great startup or a great company. Is there any aspect in particular that you feel like you would love more exposure to or more uh, practice with in order to prepare you for a potential next COO role? Um, I think that just coning in on your own skill sets. I always feel like communication is one of those things that I can work better at. And understanding when to communicate what to whom. Um, sometimes I feel like I get too transparent, and then sometimes I feel like I'm not transparent enough, right? So really, and, and communication is so foundational because you're not expected to know all the answers. What you are expected to do is find the right people to help you get to the right answers, right? So just making sure that I constantly build on that skill and understanding, you know, how do I con- how do I continue to work cross functionally efficiently. How do I make sure that I have the right team members in play or with me so that we can hit the next uh, milestone or that we're building the right strategy? So Lisa, leading RevOps is pretty intense. You talked about enjoying the journey. What do you do to unwind from the insanity of your role? Uh, Yeah, I think the easy answer is drinking. And believe me, I have a glass of wine every single night. So I definitely unwind doing that. Um, I also, I also really do um, accept the fact that you're not going to be perfect all the time. You're going to have failures every day, every day. That could be, you didn't communicate something right in a meeting or something got escalated that you could have held off, right? Just accepting that these hurdles happen and, and just tackling it one at a time and just constantly pushing yourself forward that actually helps me with the intenseness of RevOps. Wow. That I, I I love that introspection is your way of unwinding. I'm like, you're such, you're such a like performing at such a high level. You're like, well, I just think more about how I could do things better. <laughs> and that helps me unwind. I try, you haven't seen me in my most stressed out moment. So we'll save that for. <laughs> 
We need the Magnum wine bottles when yeah. we're going live with systems and such, right? Just on standby. Exactly. I do have that. Like three or four wine bottles on the side ready for me to go. Is there a particular poison of choice? What kind of wine do you like? I love a good Pinot Noir. One of my last questions is, you mentioned the COO role being some something you look up to and there are lots of folks and mentors you have. Who else should be on the podcast? Who are the folks that you respect and admire in RevOps or as COOs that um, you want to shout out and maybe suggest that they share their experiences with us? I'd love for you guys to talk to Teresa Swartz. She was actually my manager at Looker. Um, and she's, I consider her a mentor. I consider her a friend. Um, she trusted me to lead the integration from an execution side at Looker to Google. She guided me along the way. She helped me stay emotionally intelligent when I really felt like I was going to lose it on a couple of people. Um, so she is just an amazing individual. Uh, and I would recommend that she probably has a lot of wonderful insights that she could share with you guys. And we'll be sure to include her LinkedIn profile in the show notes as well if other people yeah. want to follow her. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Thank you so much. So Lisa, how can people find you on online perhaps? Yeah, I mean, the, I would love for anybody to reach out to me. I'm, I'm pretty much an open book as you guys can see, uh, but the best place is probably LinkedIn. I have a very active profile on LinkedIn. And the Flowcast site is just flowcast.com, I imagine. Yep. Flowcast.com, exactly. Awesome. Well, Lisa, this has been such a pleasure. I mean, what a treat to talk with someone who has the number of battle scars that you do from all the years in sales ops and now rev ops. Uh, I feel like I've learned so much uh, in today's podcast. Uh, really, thank you so much. It's really been a pleasure to have you on, on the show today. This has been such a treat for me. Thank you guys so much. I really appreciate the time. And if you learned something today from our conversation, or you enjoy perhaps listening to this podcast with a glass of wine, please tell your friends and peers and RevOps about podcast. Lisa, it was so great to have you as a guest today. Thank you guys. I really appreciate it. And this has been another exciting episode of RevOps Rockstars. See you next time. Stay classy, Rockstars. And that wraps up another episode. Thank you so much for joining us. For show notes and other episodes, visit RevOpsRockstars.com. RevOps Rockstars is sponsored by OpFocus. Visit OpFocus.com to learn more about how OpFocus helps SaaS companies scale their revenue operations.